A simple example there, a really silly example, but things like that happen to you that are much more serious, don't they? Um, you lose a loved one. You get a diagnosis that you don't want to hear. You've been praying for years for healing for a, a, a child or a grandchild, and the Lord doesn't move in the way that you think he should. Do we in those places sometimes venture out and wander away and say, Lord, if this is what you have for me, I don't want any part of it. This is a part of Christianity that none of us like to talk about in church, but I'm telling you, people have these thoughts and these feelings, and there's something we've got to address in church, and we've got to be open enough to talk about in church because at that time, it's like Moses in the desert who's holding up his staff. Someone's got to come alongside them and to lift their arms up in the battle and say, you hold on to your faith because this, God will persevere through this and those circumstances may not be like you want it, you come back to him and you will find him gracious and forgiving and merciful, listen to me, no matter how this circumstance turns out. Yeah? We lose people in our lives, don't we? Listen, death is coming for all of us. True? Death is coming for all of us. We're all, it's just a matter of time, right? It's just a matter of time. Death is coming for all of us, and things are going to turn out the way that we wanted, right? And we have the tendency in those times to be angry or disappointed from God, and if you're in that place, it's easy to wander away from him for a time, right? But Psalm 51 verse 17 tells us something very important about God. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, listen, you will not despise. Okay? Let me tell you what this doesn't say. God only loves people who don't mess up and wander off. It does not say that. If that were true, it's true, God wouldn't love a single one of us, right? Someone who's broken and contrite, that person, he will never despise. He will always look to you. He will always turn to you and say, come on back. Let me show you my grace and my mercy. This situation, this circumstance may not have turned out like what you wanted, but I have grace and mercy and strength for you nonetheless. Amen? Okay, now, uh, before we get too far from my metaphor, this is the place where God reaches the majority of us. And let me tell you, there may be a place in your, there may have been a time in your life that you've wandered away from God in anger about a circumstance in your life or in shame and guilt or fear about coming to, to approach the Lord after you've fallen into sin or had some terrible, uh, you know, misstep, some sin in your life. But at that time, in that place, I'm telling you that here's what we find is that God is merciful in that time to those travelers, to those wanderers off. He's merciful to them. And he says to them, your broken heart, your contrite spirit, I'll never despise that. I'll always love that and I'll always call you back to me. All right? That's an important time. That's, an, that's a turning place in our lives, isn't it? That, that, that's, a, that's a before and after kind of experience in our lives, right? Are you with me? Sometimes God leads us out into desolate places. No one, no one likes to hear that. No one likes to talk about that, especially um, when you're thinking that all of Christianity is about you and about your best um, success in life and your best success in your career. Um, if that's what Christianity is about, that's not in the Bible. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to rant about that today. Um, God leads us into desolate places sometimes so that we might, what? Find him. Find his grace and his mercy is greater than we ever realized. And then he is more glorious and more wonderful than we ever knew. Amen? Because that's really the point of life, isn't it? 
if we really confined our way to God, then this life counted, didn't it? All right. So in that place of brokenness, in that place of grief over sometimes our ungodliness or sin, we find God to be gracious and forgiving, and that leads to the second stage of worship. In the second stage of worship, we don't feel necessarily connected to God, but we have a longing and a desire to be. We have a longing and a desire for Him, all right? In this place, the guy has wandered out into the desert, and he remembers, and he thinks about the river and the coolness and the, the satisfying drink from the river, and now instead of facing this way, he turns around and says, I want that. I forgot how good the Lord was. I forgot how cool the water was. I forgot how refreshing and how life-giving that all was, but I want that. And at that point, that person's turned around and has begun to make the march back and wandering back to God. And, and he longs for it, and he thirsts for the river, and he, he longs for the coolness of the water, and he's tired of wandering around aimlessly and pointlessly and chasing things that led him out in the desert. And he turns around, and he finds himself looking and searching and, and thirsting, uh, and he changes his course, and he turns toward God. This is... Uh, Psalm 63. This one's my favorite, by the way. I know you've heard me say that a hundred times. Okay. God, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can I tell you what, folks? You know, I think this part in our lives, so where are we at? The, the, this person's realized that what they were pursuing wasn't worth it. It wasn't satisfying. It led them out to, to desolate places. And they've turned around and they've now remembered the greatness of God and, and, and what, what it was like to be connected with him and the fullness that they had in their life at that time. Can I tell you, I think most of Christianity is in this second stage of worship. We remember a mountaintop experience with him but we're not doing anything necessarily to connect with him. And so we're waiting for someone else to set up the environment and to carve out time in our lives so that we can have that experience again. May I suggest to you this morning, your relationship with God is not up to someone else. Okay, now here we go. I'm going to jump up and down and set my hair on fire. This is important. Your relationship with God is not up to someone else. It is up to you. Draw, you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures is that you wait until someone schedules a conference or a camp and that's when you're going to have the great relationship and connection with God. That's not in the Bible anywhere. It's not that someone has to schedule the time for you and someone has to set up the environment and you've got to have 20,000 other people in the room to have a mountaintop experience with God. That's just not scriptural. That's just not biblical Christianity. There's nothing wrong with those times, but if you find yourself always longing for the next time and longing and longing for the next time, what you're longing for is an experience when you should be longing for a relationship with God. Are you with me? You and I do not, are not to worship experiences. We are the object of our affection. The object of our worship is Him. And to be connected and related with Him that is what we want to long for and what we want to search for and what we want to thirst for. Like the man in the desert who longs and thirsts for water, we want to long and thirst for God. 
All right, now let me tell you, most of Christianity, I believe, is right here in this place. They're at the second stage of worship. They're not at the point that they're still wandering off, and they're not at the point that they've really arrived again. They're somewhere in between where they're not really feeling connected with God, but they want to be. Do you want, is that where you're at? Do you want to be connected with God, but you're just waiting for that next experience? Well, listen, forget the experience. Relationship with God happens between you and him and no one else. Now we can have, I, I don't mean to downplay it, you can have great experiences in, in throngs of people worshiping God together, and there's something really powerful and wonderful about all that. But I'm telling you, most of Christianity happens here where I'm waiting for that next mountaintop experience where someone's got to set the environment. I've got to have just the right guy leading worship. I've got to have just the right person uh, preaching, and then I can feel really connected with God. If that's where you are, that's not biblical Christianity. That's not what God has for you. Your relationship is between you and him and not someone else. But here's the thing that worries me. I think most of us stay here most of our lives. There's some bad things about that. The first thing is that that means that there's some other pursuits in our lives that are getting in the way. Right? If you're not connecting with God, it means that you're too distracted or too busy or both. Can, can we say as a society and maybe as a church body and maybe as, as, uh, as, as folks with kids and, and uh, other things going on in our lives that this is our lifestyle. This is how we live day to day. Always longing for something else, always longing for connection to God, but never getting there. Repent, oh, you people, yeah. This is not where we belong. We don't belong somewhere between wandering in the barren places and, 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 the, and, the, and the river. We belong where? At the river. We belong in that place to worship God. And I'm telling you, this is somehow busyness and, and, and being involved in everything and having our children involved in everything is an idol. And you know why I know it's an idol? Because it's keeping us from worshiping God truly and effectively and relating and connecting to him. It's an idol. God forgive us. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an epidemic in our culture. It's an epidemic in our lives, and I don't understand it very fully. But if it's keeping us from connecting and really worshiping and being in, remaining in with Jesus Christ, it's an idol. I don't care what it is. If it's between you and God, it's an idol, right? The Old Testament doesn't have so much to say about idols because, uh, uh, because we didn't need to know. We need to know. We need to understand them. We have idols in our lives, even today, even Christians. All right. We'll talk about that more another, another time. But this leads to the final stage of worship where there is actual joy in the presence of God. There is joy in gratitude for his grace. There is wonder at his majesty. There is hope for a future with him. There is admiration for who he is. That should be whom, shouldn't it? No, who he is. Yeah, uh, for who he is. Um, and and it's, it's that place, it's where our wanderer, our traveler in the desert has finally arrived back at the river and he doesn't bother taking off his shoes and socks. He just jumps in with both feet. And he remembers and he reflects and he has great joy in the coolness of the river. He drinks in the water deeply because it's He's been thirsting for it and he loves it there and he splashes around in the water and he acts like a three-year-old kid. Yeah? 
Let me tell you, that's the final stage of worship. And this is ultimately, listen, this is ultimately how, this is how we were created to live in the joy of the presence of our creator. Sin has interrupted us. Other pursuits and idols and distractions have interrupted us. But the stage of worship that you and I are longing for is right here in the presence of God. Enjoy about the grace that he's shown us. Enjoy about his perfections and his character, about his great love and his great mercy and his great majesty and holiness and perfection and sovereignty and providence and all of those things. Um, which brings me to a point I heard Matt Chandler say that I thought it was so brilliant. Um, when did Christian books become not about Christ but about you and me? When did that happen? When did Christian books become about how you can do better at your career? Don't those books belong in other parts, in other stores? I'm amazed. I walk through Walmart all the time, and, and literally. Um, I'll, I'll be there later today, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's an idol there, I'm sure. But um, every time I go by there, I, I glance. I don't, there's some, I'm a little OCD. But every time I go there, I glance and I look at the, the small little, you know, what, what, how big is that store? 120,000 square feet or something enormous. And the Christian book section, you know, is about like this. They've got a couple of racks of Bibles. And it's all about how I can live my best life and about how I can uh, 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 do well at, at, at my career and making more money. And God wants all of that for me. Okay, when did Christianity become more about me than it did Christ? When was the last time you had in your hands a book that was actually about God or about Jesus Christ? Um, listen, there, that means, let me tell you, if you haven't been reading books like that, it means that, the, that he's not the object of your affection, that there are other things that are in, play, in, in his place, and those things we call idols. Okay, Psalm 63 ends like this. You with me? I'll just turn there and read it. Psalm 63 ends like this. He says, it starts, of course, in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In verse 2, he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And now here is the part. Here's the part where he's in the river, both feet, fully clothed because he couldn't wait to get in. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. I love the way the King James put it, as with the richest of fare. Um, with the richest of food, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I'll remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. That's worship. It's not longing and waiting and having other things in my life between me and God. It's being connected with him and finding when we're there that this was it. This is the pursuit that matters above all the others. This is the thing that matters most in my life, that I find a way to connect with God because, you know, in the future, that's all we're going to be doing, right? Uh, but, but, it, but for now, for here in this moment, we're not to be wandering out in the desert, wandering alone away from God. We're not supposed to be longing for worship as if we're waiting for someone else to do it for us. We're supposed to be right there in, in relationship with Him, wandering, splashing around at the, the greatness and 
the majesty and the glory of God and remembering and recounting all of his goodness toward us and worshiping him at his feet. That's the final stage of worship, is finding joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. John Piper said about worship, he says, Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Think about that for a moment. Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. I want to I say just here real quickly, you know, sometimes we think of worship in it's that thing that we do for 45 minutes on Sunday mornings. Far from the truth. Um, worship is how we live. And worship is what you long for. Worship, you worship what you long for and what you thirst for in your life, you know? And it can be 150,000 things under the sun, but there's only one thing that's in right place there, and it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is it. And anything else that's in the way needs to be thrown down, cast down. That's why boy, that song that we sang is so great this morning, casting down our idols, uh, give us clean hands, great stuff. So I want to ask you this morning, where are you in worship? Are you out there in that barrenness? Are you out in that bitter, barren place? Maybe your distraction or your sin or your, uh, uh, or, or your guilt or your shame or your anger at God, and you've wandered far away from him. If you're there, he says, your broken heart and your contrite spirit, I won't deny. I will not despise it. Are you in that place where you find yourself where most, I think, of the church is, where most of Christianity is? We're not necessarily out there, but we're not necessarily there either. We're somewhere in between where we have this longing for God, and we just can't seem to get there because we can't seem to make time for Him, and we can't seem to free our minds of our distractions. We have these things in our minds all of the time, and it's keeping us from relating and, 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 and having relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're in that place, if you're in that place... I think we need to repent. I think we need to say, Lord, I've let other things come between you and me. And they don't belong there. They don't belong there. Those things are idols to me. And, and I need to find a way. I need to meet with you. And I need you to help re refine me and, and, and cleanse me of these things so that I can have right relationship with you. Or are you in that place where you're finding great joy in the presence of God? We find great joy thinking about and contemplating uh, about his greatness. Did you hear what David wrote in, in the psalm? He says, I think about you through the watches of the night, right? As though it's, it sounds like he's saying, I, I, I can't sleep at night so, sometime because I can't quit pondering your greatness and your majesty and your glory and your love for me. I, I just can't stop. It just, it's on my mind all the time about how great and marvelous and perfect and wonderful you are and you've been to me. I never stop thinking. I think that's where we all desire to be. It's to find that great joy of knowing God. Um, I want to close like this. Many of us didn't grow up in churches where this was taught. You were taught to act like a good Christian, but you weren't taught that there was any joy in being a Christian, <laughs> right? Right? Uh, you were taught to be a good person, but there's no joy in it. It's just drudgery, and you're just going to have to live that way, and you'll get over it one day. Uh, you, you know, you get a prize at the end if you were a good person. Well, that's just not the case. We're supposed to find great joy in knowing God.
And there is great joy there. Amen? We'll be satisfied as with, with the richest affair in his presence. That's great stuff. Would you pray with me? Let's take some, moment, some time together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we contemplate um, just those things in our lives that, that we look to to satisfy us or to, or to meet our needs for the things that we thirst for or hunger for in our lives, Lord God. Father, there's just in our lifestyle, in, in our society, and even in church sometimes, uh, Lord, we, just, we let those things get in between you and, and, and us. And Father, we know it's not right. Lord, we know things would be much different in our lives if we found great joy in your presence. So, Father, I pray, draw us to you, I pray. Help us to find the joy of knowing you, the joy of contemplating you and remaining in you uh, and pursuing you, Lord God. I pray that above everything else, Lord God, all the other things that we've been talking about kind of reveal our hearts, but nothing reveals our hearts like worship. Father, I pray that you would make us worshipers of you in spirit and in truth. That we would, like Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, that it's supposed to be our lives, not just our, a time on Sunday mornings. But he said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, all of us, holy and pleasing to God as our spiritual act of worship. Father, help us get it through our thick heads that worship's not what we do on, Friday, on Sunday mornings for 45 minutes. Worship is how we live. It's what we, what, we, what we thirst for. It's what we long for. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would do the work of your Holy Spirit in us to make the object of our affection in your presence. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want, to, we want to live in a way, Lord, that people can see that you are foremost in our thoughts and foremost in our lives and foremost in our activities because we find great joy in your presence. We find great joy in your majesty and your mercy and your love. Father, pray that you be honored with our lives. Pray that you be honored in our worship. Yes, and I pray that we would find great joy in your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, thank you all for being here today. I appreciate your time here with me this morning with the, and, and your brothers and sisters this morning. Um, no matter where you're at, the Lord is merciful, and he will meet you right where you are because he wants you to be in his presence. Amen. Amen. All right, listen, you all have a great week. Have a great week, week relating to your God this week. Thanks for being here.